0: jcasnetwork.org.
1: Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Abby Soslin. Today we are studying Masachat Sukkah, Daff Yodzayin, page 17. <clears throat> Our Daff today begins with a Mishnah that discusses the horizontal distance between the schach and the wall next to it. Yesterday we reviewed the idea of lavud, that two solid surfaces with a small space between them can be considered as if they are one surface, if that space is less than three tefachim, if that space is less than about 12 inches. Today, we learn that if the schach and the wall nearest to it are not lavud, then the whole sukkah is pasul, the entire sukkah is invalid. Rashi recognizes that we may be a bit confused. Weren't we just talking about the distance between the schach and the wall, on the last off? Ah, he says, in the very first Rashi on the page, lav big v'ha kamar, this is not regarding the height, ela b'moshcha, rather in the width. Rashi clarifies for us that while we did discuss the vertical distance between the schach and the wall, which we established could be as much as 27 and a half inches difference in a kosher sukkah, today we're learning that the horizontal difference, the horizontal distance, cannot be more than three t'vachim. If the wall is more than three t'vachim away from the schach, Rashi explains that that is not even considered a wall. And if that is one of the three walls of the sukkah, the entire sukkah is invalidated. Of course, if it is the fourth wall, then the other three walls count, and the sukkah is still valid. But all of this only applies if there is an actual space between the schach and the wall, avir, air, between the two. The Mishnah goes on to explain three cases where the schach is separated from the wall, but not by an empty gap, but by materials which are invalid for schach. v'sikech al im yesh min hakotel lasikuch <laughs> arba amot psula a house which has a hole in it, and you put schach on top of that hole, if there are four amot from the wall, between the hole and the wall, the sukkah is invalid. So if there's a hole in the roof of a house, you can place schach on the hole and use it as a sukkah, provided that there are less than four amot, approximately six feet, from the walls of the house to the hole. This leniency is based on the principle of dofen akuma, literally crooked wall, that actually turns the ceiling into part of the wall. We view the walls of the house as if they are bent, and they become attached to the ceiling. The principle of dofen akuma is at work, explains the Mishnah, in a courtyard surrounded by porches, or in a large sukkah whose schach is surrounded by ineligible schach so let's say you put your sukkah next to your home and you have a little overhang connected to your house maybe it's fabric or even metal something completely ineligible for schach if that overhang is less than six feet you can actually count the wall of the house as one of the walls of your sukkah now there is a machloket Rishonim a debate among the medieval commentators about what should happen if the wall itself is not high enough to reach the schach, then you would have to combine the leniency from yesterday, Gud Asik machista, that uh, the wall extends upward, with today's leniency, dofen Akuma, the crooked wall. Rabbeinu Nisim, the 14th century Spanish Talmudist, holds that if the wall does not reach to the schach or, uh, vertically, then the principle of dofen Akuma does not apply. But the Tur, Rabbi Yaakov Ben Asher, also a 14th century Spanish scholar, and Rabbi Yosef Caro, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, they both hold that even if the wall does not vertically reach the schach, one may apply both leniencies and consider a short wall and an overhang or an ineligible schach or part of the ceiling as a dofen akuma, one crooked wall. Great. So the Gemara begins immediately after the Mishnah, asking, "Well, why do you need all three cases? Why does the Mishnah bring three different cases of dofen akuma? They all seem to be applying the same principle, and yet, as the Gemara explains, each one is tsricha. Each one is necessary because without it, one might assume that one's sukkah is invalid. The Mishnah goes out of its way to offer us different leniencies." Whether you accept Rabbi Nisim's opinion or the Tur and Shulchan Aruch's opinion, it is clear that the Mishnah wants to give us leniencies for a sukkah. As we spoke about yesterday, the rabbis allow us to lean on the illusion, in this case, that the walls of the sukkah are bent. Rabbi Norman Lamb, the former chancellor of Yeshiva University, comments on this idea of the illusions that make up the Sukkah, and he suggests that actually illusion is at the core of this holiday in a different way than we learned yesterday. He quotes the late Rabbi Amiel Zal, Zichrona Livracha, of Tel Aviv, in his book Drashot El-Ami. Rabbi Amiel discovered that there was a hint for propensity for this use of illusion in the holiday of Sukkot, in the Talmud statement concerning the nature of our dwelling in the Sukkah. The Torah teaches, basukot Teshvu shivat yamim, you shall dwell in the Sukkot for seven days. But the Talmud asks, the Talmud adds, excuse me, teishvu, you will dwell, ke'ein taduru, as if you truly resided in the Sukkah. You dwell as if you reside. We don't actually, as Rabbi Lam writes, change our address from home to sukkah, but in our minds, in our practice, and in our intentions, we dwell in the sukkah as if we really lived there. As he writes, all of sukkah is a tribute to the power of a noble illusion. Thus, as Rabbi Lam continues, the halacha is a Torah chayim, a Torah of life, which tells us something about the importance of illusion in daily life. Normally, we use the word illusion in a pejorative sense as something which is contrary to fact. But he argues that those who only need to live by common sense, by things that they can understand, are missing out on the religious life because the religious life is lived past those things that we can understand. Illusions are not opposed to fact, Illusions are often more consonant with reality than facts, and they give our lives sense and meaning at times. As Rabbi Lamb writes, pity the man who prides himself on possessing common sense and who sticks only to facts. Those people cannot live in a life of spirituality. And he quotes the poet John Ciardi. It is always a mistake, writes the poet, to discuss poetry with a man who insists that it all must make sense. For the trouble with being sensible is not the sense it does or does not make, but the life it never really manages to get to. It always manages to shut doors, as many doors as it opens. And one of the doors it always shuts and always with a slam is poetry. So the holiday of Sukkot, With all of these different leniencies, the imaginary crooked wall, the Dauphin Akuma, the Lavoud, two different spaces that actually are attached. We act as if they are attached. Or the Gud Asik Meshitsda, the wall that we imagine extends upwards. All of them are a way of living past a life of simply facts and into a life where we can imagine more. Into a life of poetry, a life of imagination, a life of faith, and a life of religious meaning. It has really been an honor studying these few days with you, and I look forward to learning with you again in the next masachet.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros, from the epic chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.